This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. But Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Good morning, good morning, Professor Ward Scott here. Actually, Coach Hall right now in the Coach Hall locker room of the Melbourne Law Studio, 352-325-3938, wearing Coach Hogg hat here. By golly, Coach Hogg. And uh, we'll give you a little rundown on some sports things that are going on and uh, some interesting stuff, hopefully. Got a big story we're going to break here. Breaking news, as they say, breaking news. We're going to break some news here for you today that um, I think you'll be very interested in a little bit. I'm going to do the Coach Hogg's locker room, of course. And the first thing I got to do, I got to give a shout out, really. I mean, I'm just amazed. I'm, I'm so happy for him. I've been predicting it all along that I know a good coach when I see one. And uh, by golly, that uh, Kelly Ray Finley is a great coach. I'm going to give you some quotes from her and let you know uh, how she's come across publicly as people have asked her for comments. Her team beat... Again, a ranked team yesterday uh, in a thrilling uh, finish at the end, basically through some very smart strategy, last-minute coaching by uh, Kelly Ray, who anticipated several scenarios that could happen, and her players immediately bought into it and uh, performed it precisely the way it could have gone in their favor. I was so impressed, as, was, uh, as were the announcers on the SEC Network, that basically co the coaching ability of Ke Kelly Ray Finley uh, steered those players through a minefield of possible things that could go wrong for them to win at the very end, at the last uh, minute, really, of a very hotly contested game that was back and forth all along. Um, I got to hand it to the Georgia coach, as is uh, Kelly Ray Finley, hand it to the Georgia coach. Uh, Kelly Ray Finley is always gracious. She said that coaches are very good coach, and that place uh, uh, there at the University of Georgia is a hard, is hard place to win. I've been there. It is um, probably true that, uh, you know, once again, you're on the road. But uh, she's won on the road now. She beat Kentucky on the road. Kelly Ray did. So um, this is really a remarkable coaching debut here for this uh, young woman. And um, I just want to give you a couple of things that I've noticed I've noticed that the team plays together as a team and that they love the coach and that the coach loves them. And the coach doesn't chew them out if they do something wrong, but offers an encouraging suggestion as to how to maybe go in a different direction. And they believe it and they perform it. And of course, obviously, they practice these things before having to put him into play in the actual game. That shows up, too. The other thing is she has astutely figured out where her talent lies, therefore has molded the a strategy of her team around the talent she's got, which I think is a fantastic demonstration of how a coach should work. You know, we've had experiences on the football field here where, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you who it was. It was Doug Dickey, uh, one of the dumbest hires in the history of the University of Florida football. Um, we had recruited because I was a member of the coaching world in those days. We had recruited for Coach Graves uh, some of the best pro set uh, type offense guys in the state, John Reeves, Carlos Alvarez, uh, these type of people. And, man, it worked. And, and then when, of course, Dickey came in there, he changed it and put an entirely different uh, offense out of his philosophy, out of his – rather than build off the players and what the players could do and build the, build the strategy around the players' talents and put the players in the right positions to be able to win and succeed, which is another – a real gift of a good teacher. Uh, no, what does he do? He comes in and superimposes, then evaluates everybody on how well they fit into his strategy. That's not the case with Kelly Ray. Uh, her team is fast. She has three very fast uh, uh, ladies out on the uh, out on the guard area uh, near the uh, top of the key. Um, they they can they can fly, and so in transition they fly. 
They fly up and down the court. Uh, they fly down to the defensive end as quickly as, as they fly to the offensive end. And it's run, 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 run. And she has a, a very good strength and conditioning coach that's gotten these ladies prepared to run this type of offense because that's where their talent lies. Um, she's maximized the center where most teams have their big strengths. Uh, the 6'5 girl uh, of South Carolina is probably the best and one of the best in the country. But we're right in there with 6'3, 6'4. And she's coached those girls how to play in that center against those big, big, girls that they'll stack up against and they can hold their own. So uh, just to pick up a few of the quotable quotes from Coach Kelly Ray Finley, who my, my, my information is that she's already been hired as a full-time coach. Uh, they've already dropped the interim. They just haven't announced it publicly and they're not going to announce it until after the season. Uh, that's my inside scoop. I don't think I'm wrong. I got that from very good sources and uh, that makes everybody uh, feel a lot better, but they just haven't announced it publicly yet. Um, the other thing is um, uh, 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 that helps recruiting. And I think now you're going to start to see people come as the word's going to spread. This is a fun coach to play for. But she recognizes, Coach Finley does, that the quickness and speed are her advantage. Uh, their next play mentality, I'm just picking up some of the phrases from her quotes, both with possession and from offense to defense. Uh, she's also a teacher and she recognizes that her players are her students and that they grow and change and that these players have grown and changed and become a believer and understand where their advantages are and how to use their advantages uh, per their quickness and their size. And also they understand that the SEC is wide open uh, in ladies basketball. They've just proven that. Uh, they played South Carolina pretty closely. Uh, I have to remind you that South Carolina has had 19 years to build its reputation it's had that much stability in its coach there. Uh, we're just starting off with a night, not, maybe not even 19 weeks. I haven't counted them up. But already, uh, nobody wants to play the University of Florida basketball team if they can help it because they know they're in for a real struggle. Uh, she's got the team in really good shape. As I said, she's got an excellent strength coach. She prepares them. they got a very good trainer. So the team is healthy and prepared to play at the pace they want to play. And uh, uh, most teams don't want to play. Indeed, if you watch these other teams, uh, they have been relying on coming down and setting up and playing to their big people in the center or maybe their three-point shooters. But if they're off balance all the time, and this is, I know, from tennis and playing so much tennis, you always want to exploit the opponent's weakness and play to that weakness and play to that weakness and play to that weakness until that person just can't ha handle it anymore. You sure don't want to play to the opponent's strength. And so the whole deal is as much mental as it is physical when you're out there one-on-one -on -one in the tennis court. And this is much the same thing, of course, in any athletic endeavor where you've got to use your head as well as your body. Um, so uh, she's got the, the kids believing that every game is just another game and every game is winnable. And so they are believers. And that's a big, big part of having people tune into your show here like this or tune in to, to your classroom or tune into your coaching world uh, that you believe them. Uh, you, when they say something, they're, they're honest with you, they're candid with you, and you believe them. Um, that, you know, people can sense when you're, you're not believable or credible or when you really stepped out of your lane. Uh, these players are playing with their strengths and making the other team play to their strengths. Uh, they talk a lot about it. Uh, they share a lot of uh, enthusiasm with each other, and they have learned to face adversity and not even view it as any negative thing. It's a positive thing. Uh, they like being the underdog. They like uh, being uh, uh, maybe uh, 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 a little bit uh, uh, on, the, on the edge where they've got to fight their way out of the game. They enjoy that, and she's got these people believing in that. So uh, if you haven't watched these Lady Gator basketball players, you are really – uh, and I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm looking at it as the coach is a teacher. Um, the coach is a teacher. And what I like about it is the teaching methodology of this particular person. And this is a tough world, you know. Uh, but I think the consistency of Kelly Ray Finley will apply to no matter what personnel she has. She will use this same strategy. She calls it being true to yourself. I've been trying to think what that means really in terms of what she's actually doing. And I think that is what she means by being true to yourself 
is figure out what you're good at and go for it. You know, as a teacher, I've really always encouraged students to do that. Some students, many, many students really lose their gifts because they come and they've been told that, well, they should be a rocket scientist or they should be this, that, or another thing. Um, this is a wave of the future, but their real gift is maybe, I'm gonna give you a prime example in a moment. Uh, their real gift is something that is really not even on the radar of the counselors. Uh, and uh, that, that, the student I've had that I can tell you is the best example of that is Tom Petty. Tom Petty was my student at Gainesville High and Tom Petty knew what Tom Petty was from the very beginning. And he was not gonna look up, that's what he was gonna do, that's what he was gonna be, and that's what he practiced. He wasn't even the best guitar player in town. He, there were other very good guitar, uh, guitar players here and uh, Buster Lippin at Lippin's Music Store knows all of the Almond Brothers were around then, Stephen Stills was around there, Felder and these guys were around here, uh, eventually became the Eagles. Um, but Tom Petty was a lyricist. He really knew how to, to, to uh, convey and connect with his audience. And that's all he cared about. And he was devoted to it. And if you'd, you'd ask me, I'm telling you the classic story. I'm, I'm going to put egg on my face. A, a carload of these guys came by one day, uh, my place in, uh, in my apartment in those days with, so to speak, feet hanging out of the windows and guitars and, and, you know, whatever, crammed into the car to say goodbye. Uh, and I said, where are you all going? And they said, we're going to California to try to make it big. And, you know, me being the teacher back then, I said, are you guys crazy? I said, there's 50 million other people trying to go to California to make it big. You need to get back in school. Well, how wrong can I be? And, you know, I tell you, I'm never wrong. Well, I was sure wrong that day because the next thing you know, these people are playing before packed crowds in stadiums and, and everybody's listening to them. And even to this day, listening to them uh, in Florida field in the end of the third quarter. So I got to tell you that what I see in Kelly Ray Finley is not the mistake I made where I said, hey, you guys get back in school. And, and, and you know, what I should have told them is you follow your passion. If that's your passion, you become the very best you can become at it and you stick with it and you become the great. And that'll take care of everything because you'll have fun doing it and you'll love it. So this team right now that she's coaching obviously has that strategy. And if I ever met her in person, I'd tell her exactly what I'm telling right now on myself. And, and I said, she's got these people being themselves. And I think that's what that means. That's so refreshing. I want to talk a little bit, just a minute about the Olympics and something I've been told, and maybe you do know, and maybe you don't know, is that all that snow you see is artificial. Um, of course, uh, my wife's a big skier. I was a big skier at one time. We're very much, uh, by big, I mean, you know, as big as you can be and still live in Florida. <laughs> to really big, be big, you got to ski 60, 70 days out of the year. But I tried to cram it all in in a week or two every time I went there. And uh, I got to where it was really fun. I could make the mountain my friend and, you know, and undulate with the mountain. But, but uh, uh, we had real snow. Those, that snow I'm, in, in China, you look at the mountains in the background, all that snow is man-made. And what it's doing is causing real challenges for the downhill skiers, which is the event I like the most. Of course, the moguls are fantastic. I got to the place where I could do moguls, but I cannot even begin to do them like those people do them. That is an amazing thing that they do. Uh, those kids have been doing moguls since they were little kids, and now they're in the Olympics doing them. But these downhill skiers, they're traveling 60, 70, 80, in some cases with the males, 90 miles an hour, Bodie Miller and these guys. In fact, I was at Beaver Creek when uh, they were having an event there, and when those guys come down and shut it down at the bottom, and lean up on those uh, edges of those skis, man, the, the earth shudders. I mean, it is absolutely shuddering. They're shutting it down so much from coming down that mountain. So it's an exciting and dangerous thing to do. And so here we are with uh, uh, the snow. It's artificial. It's icy. Boy, that's the worst thing you can have. You've really got to get up and carve on your edges or, or you're not going to survive that downhill uh, run. And already uh, one of the favorites here has fallen on the first run and is out of that event. 
Fortunately, she's got several other events, but I've forgotten the name of her. Just slipped my mind for a moment, but she's a well-known favorite. And she's out. And she made one mistake and she carved too carefully or leaned over too much on that ski and, and got up. Now, those ski edges that they're skiing on are sharp enough that you could take them and use them as a knife, cut a watermelon. Uh, you can, you know, cut fruit um, just by whacking on the ski edges. That's how sharp they have to be. You don't want to run your finger down them. You'll cut yourself like you did on a razor. So that's one of the events. But I did want to back up and say uh, that the ice, uh, icy slopes of the downhills are very, very difficult and unique because of the way in which that snow was produced. So we've got a couple of hometown people here, if you will, from Ocala uh, uh, that are uh, in the race. One of the ladies turned in the number 10 result. Uh, Bo, I think, is the one who took out the flag in the beginning. Uh, these ladies train in Ocala, which is a real place for indoor ice skating, uh, probably because of there's a sponsor or a coach or somebody down there who has started that from the grassroots level. So that's what I'm interested in right now in uh, the artificial snow and the ski, and the ski courses. Um, uh, they, are, they are very challenging normally, and in this time, uh, they're even probably more challenging than they normally would be. Uh, keep your eye on our local tennis team, men and women winning, but we have the national champion male tennis team. Uh, that's right. Our men tennis team here is a national champion last year. Uh, so when it warms up a little bit, and they play in the cold weather too, <clears throat> don't think they don't. I have sat in that chair umpiring one of those matches when we've had delays for rain or when we've been playing in the cold or the wind. We truck along as long as we can. Uh, we do have some temperature readings that we do call it off for, but we haven't reached them yet here so far. So if you get when things warm up a little bit, if you're in, if you enjoy watching some of the top uh, tennis activity in the world, uh, of college tennis here in the United States. You want to go see particularly the men's team. I don't know how the women are doing this year, but they evidently won yesterday. So that's kind of my Coach Hogg's locker room here. Just checking my notes. Um, keep your eye on our Lady Gator basketball team. And uh, it's very unusual here to have this type of success with our team. And we keep this girl, Kelly Ray Finley, will have it for a long time. Uh, will be competitive for no, no, no doubt about it because of the way her head is on her shoulders. Um, I don't have any idea what to say about the football coach. I've never met the gentleman. I'm kind of burned. I've been through so many coaches here. Uh, the gold standard, of course, is Steve Spurrier. Uh, he was able to connect with his players. His players were able to get excited about him, believe in him, uh, even walk like him, whatever they could do to be like him, play for him, please him. Uh, that's really the only one we've had here. Um, that he's the gold standard. Of course, we kept him here as the ambassador and all that. And, and that, 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 that's, that's the way it should be. And of course, he and I go back to the mid-60s. So I've known Steve for a long, long time while he was still a student here. Um, the other thing that I want to report on is a little more uh, uh, timely. And it's the title of the show today. And perhaps this is the one... Uh, that you um, uh, really, really need to pay a little attention to. And that's the title of our show is the FDL uh, report rollout. The FDA, FDLE has rolled out its report. And in case you're just tuning in, uh, just, uh, just catching up on this, the Ward Scott files, I, I think it was two years ago. Maybe, I know, I've lost track of time, but I know this. Quite a while ago, the Ward Scott files through our investigator uh, found shenanigans in the supervisor elections voting behavior here. We've run that story on this air. Uh, Breitbart picked up our story, picked up the Ward Scott files as a... Uh, outlet for this story and we were written up in Breitbart. Uh, we've been noticed quite a number of places uh, for our investigation. Let me just give you the history of it um, and tell you the people that are involved in it. Um, the governor's office, the representatives, the senators, they all know about it. Um, we have 
shop around in the beginning of what we should do with it. We took it to the state attorney. The state attorney turned it over to the sheriff. The sheriff turned it over to the FDLE, where it has been low these many months. We were told when it went to the FDLE that the FDLE is thorough but slow. Well, just a couple of days ago, Friday, I think, the FDLE turned its report over to the state attorney's office. So now what will happen is the state attorney's office will assign it just as they did in the Collier investigation, which I'm going to get to in a moment, to an assistant state attorney. In this case, it's been assigned to Omar Hecovara. And one interesting thing about cases that are assigned to Omar Hecovara, the last 11 felony cases he's had, eight have been dropped. We're keeping an eye on him. He has a history from these stats of Elon no low processing and dropping cases. Um, I'm sorry, that's been turned over in the Collier's case, which I'm coming up to. I'm sorry. That's going to, I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Retract that. Let me talk about it. Look at my notes. That's where the Collier's investigation is. Let me not confuse the two because I got two to talk about here. So the election uh, case has now been uh, turned over to the state attorney. And let me just tell you who has quit the state uh, supervisor elections office since this investigation by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement began. T.J. Sight, director of communications and outreach, resigned from the state attorney's office. David Thomas, no longer with supervisor elections. He was the precinct manager, records manager and voting equipment. And Alexis White, information specialist, public records custodian, information technology, gone. Those three people are gone. T.J. Syke, David Thomas, Alexis White. T.J. Syke is the one who went into the Lodgeville County Jail and disappeared from, during the investigation from state attorneys, uh, from the supervisor elections office. So let me repeat this chain of custody of this. It went from the state attorney when we got uh, turned this information over to the sheriff, to FDLE, and now back to Kramer. But we don't know, and I'm, you know, I'm going to come down to Collier in a minute, what I was saying a moment ago applied to Collier. What we don't know is how many cases we're talking about out of all the ones we turned over that the FDLE found were chargeable offenses. And we don't know if anybody's involved beside the inmates who illegally registered. We're going to be trying to find that out. So that's where we are with, but it has come full circle now. And you can bet we'll be watching it tomorrow. We'll be running a show, a special show on this. So if you're interested in the details of this, you tune in, tune in tomorrow because we will be plunging in this a little bit more depth as regards Collier's, uh, which is, as you know, those fellows, only two so far that I know of, Rodas and Riles have been charged with racketeering. We read all that stuff out the other day, about four, about four charges. That has been turned, turned over by the state attorney to Assistant State Attorney Omar Hecovaria. The last 11 felony cases he, he had, eight were dropped. So it's possible. It's possible now that any or none or all of the above of these cases could be dropped. I don't believe we're going to have any case dropped with this election situation. I don't know enough yet about the Colliers to tell you yes or no. 
except that there is a lot of politics, evidently, I think, involved in the Collier's case. Maneuvers anyway. We have local people here with big reputations and we have the real serious issue of a SWAT team coming into a white collar, so to speak, crime. And I got to tell you that um, that is very interesting because we have a situation where police aggression, if you will, was used of all places, can you believe it, once again in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it is uh, something that I'll get to in a moment. Busting into the, well, really using a key, there was no knock, and coming in very aggressively. That is going to be factoring in, in some way or some, I promise you, in the Collier situation, at least in the minds of the public. It has not gone away. Now, as far as voting rights go, we have a very well-known example right now, which has just come out, about Pamela Moses and the Black Lives Matter movement. Pamela Moses is a uh, Black Lives Matter activist in Tennessee. She's a former Democratic mayoral candidate in Memphis, and she has an extensive record of felony convictions. Now, you mind you now in the state of Florida, if you're a convicted felon, this is what we have here in our local FDLA report investigation, you can't vote unless your rights have been restored by paying back what you took, so to speak. But the situation here is apparently supervisor elections against that rule sent one of the representatives to the jail and these guys were signed up even though they hadn't paid back their restitution. That right there is what is the core of this investigation locally. Now, there's lots of cases of this going on. And I'm going to quote this one from Tennessee. She had an extensive record of felony convictions, and she was also convicted for tampering with evidence that caused her, all these things caused her to permanently lose her voting rights in the state. And she's claiming she voted, and she's claiming that she never really knew that. Now, here's the issue. Uh, uh, the, the officials who signed off on Moses being eligible to vote, they say they made an error in saying her probation was over, meaning her voting rights had been restored. Um, that is what we have found is really a, a kind of a loose connection here. These supervisors of elections don't check these voter registration rolls. Apparently, apparently. And it doesn't take much to check them. In other words, we're not talking about or too many votes cast or anything like that. We're just talking about routinely, as I understand it, and we're going to talk about this more thoroughly tomorrow, going through and just taking a look at the rolls to see, are there dead people on there? Are there people, somebody signed up who's not, legitimate and shouldn't be signed up because once they're signed up, they go vote and you can't take the vote back. That's the thing. None of these votes gets taken back. So after she was convicted uh, of a voting error, now here's the way that went. Uh, the officials who signed off on Moses being eligible to vote said they made an error in saying her probation was over, meaning her voting rights had not been restored. So when the 44-year-old black woman submitted the certificate as part of her voter's registration, she was charged with trying to illegally register to vote. And after she was convicted of the voting error last November, she was sentenced to six weeks to six years and one day in prison. She's blaming it on the election commission. And that's a Tennessee case that is expected to draw a lot of attention to exactly what we think we have examples of here, perhaps, in multiplicity. Uh, 
So um, this is all wrapped up in uh, and, and complicated. Um, in her case, it's very complicated because she had 16 previous felony, felony convictions. And uh, from the time she was in her 20s. And of course, she's claiming she was forced to say she was guilty because she had limited resources to fight it. This is one of the this is one of the cards that's played in the criminal justice system. You're picking on me because I'm poor. And if I'd been wealthy enough to hire a, a, a liar, I would have not been found guilty. And so she's playing this card. But, you know, 16 felony convictions is quite a number. So uh, this is a, a serious incident. She's been a 10 count indictment for perjury, tampering of evidence, um, et cetera, et cetera. And yet she is voting in Tennessee and the election committee has now found the error. I, I, I just tell you, I enter that into our classroom today, students, because it is uh, uh, so interesting to, to um, I have to be careful how I say it because of the algorithms, you know, uh, the little millennial algorithms are lurking for anybody who quote unquote questions, quote, 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 but, 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 but you know, anything about an election. Um, before we take a break, I want to give you an update on a mayor lock uh, because this is relevant to in the, in the minds of the people anyway, certainly in Minnesota and to somewhat here in Gainesville with the heavy handed use of the SWAT team in a white collar crime where innocent people like Jason Hurst was uh, handcuffed or zip tied uh, AR-15 pointed in his direction. Um, that would scare the bejesus out of you. And he's not even named in the warrant. In the case of Amir Locke, we have something called the no-knock warrant. And the reason apparently, from what I can find out so far, is that Amir Locke was staying in an apartment where a man had been who had been arrested for uh, a lot of violence in 2018. Uh, this guy... Uh, uh, had uh, refused to identify himself to officers. Uh, you know, it had a whole history of, you know, confrontations with the cops. And um, the, the man in question listed on the search warrant, uh, it's unclear right now whether Amir Locke had any connection with him, but Amir Locke was lying there with a pistol in his hand. He, he you, you customarily sleep under your covers at, at night with a pistol in your hand. Uh, you may have it in your nightstand, you know, in the case you have, but in your hand. So Amir Locke, the question is, how innocent was Amir Locke? He's in the apartment where there's a history of a person residing who has a history of violence with the cops. And uh, he evidently would know the guy. And there the story stops right now. Uh, Amir Locke himself, as near as we can tell, had a right to have the pistol. He also had a clean record as near as we can tell. Uh, but the man in question had previous run-ins, um, but Locke had a clean criminal record um, and a legal permit to carry the gun. Now, I don't know what the moral of that is. Uh, don't hang out with bad guys or don't stay where they stay or, um, you know, I, I just don't know. But that's happened in Minnesota and Minneapolis. And once again, that place is about to lose its mind because this is another case of quote unquote a minority being shot by the cops or killed by the cops this is on the heels of floyd a couple of years ago so and i watched that trial with floyd and they dragged the the police chief in there who was black and he claimed his cops never behaved like uh, this behavior i think based upon what i saw him say so it's going to hit the fan there. It already has hit the fan. And I can just say that these warrants to get into people's lives, uh, no-knock warrants, uh, going in and pointing weapons at people in white-collar crime that don't deserve to have weapons pointed at them, all this stuff is all out there 
to be further talked about and explored on the Ward Scott Files. We're going to take a small break right now. We've got a couple of new ditties. Maybe I'll get uh, my uh, production guys to play. I went through the Smut Library, what I call the Smut Library, which is stuff we had fun with on the radio. We'll play a little bit for you here from time to time. I'm going to come back and um, uh, uh, teach you some more stuff to think about, maybe, or present some more stuff for you to think about that hopefully will make your day interesting as we move along here. Be ready for tomorrow, though. I think we're going to have a pretty interesting show for you. Take a break right now on the Ward Scott Files. Take it away, production. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, R&R Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. If your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octone, octone, the papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. You're going to search your belongings. Once again, I've said it, and I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record. He's going to come up the steps. And I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. And I've said it on the record, and I'll say it on the record. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Ken Cornell, known as the thin-skinned water boy. Ken Cornell, known as Minnie Mike. Ken Cornell, wears elevator shoes. Ken Cornell, he just wants to be like. All right, welcome back. I hope we entertained you a little bit there. I'm uh, unable to hear what you guys hear, so uh, what did we do, production? Um, I know we did the biomass deal. We'll play some more of those from time to time. They're kind of funny. Um, what would life be without a COVID update? Huh? I mean, come on. Come on. You know you appreciate them. Uh, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what the truth is, but uh, since we got the Olympics... I thought we'd uh, take a look at China's COVID-19 and um, which has been about, I guess, in the news now for about two years. And China, you know, people think from depending upon what, you know, it was deliberately done or accidentally done or I don't think there's any question, but what it did originate there in the Wuhan lab, I think that's become kind of scientific fact. But the problem with COVID, according to the research I've been able to figure out in China, is that China doesn't have any critical care facilities like Western cities. Um, so um, if the Wuhan outbreak began in the U.S., it would require 26 intensive care beds per 100,000 citizens. Um, the U.S. had these beds. 
China didn't and still doesn't. Let me repeat that. I think that's kind of interesting in your diaries. You keep a record of all this stuff and you look back and teach your children, you know, all about what it was like when we had COVID. Um, if the Wuhan outbreak had taken place in the United States, it would require 26, just based on what we have as people who are ill, uh, 26 intensive care beds per 100,000 citizens. Um, and the U.S. has those. China does not. Um, the uh, other thing is that China has, and this is kind of interesting, because I know people who believe in, you know, Kickapoo Joy Juice will cure COVID. And, you know, there's all sorts of people who believe all sorts of stuff. But in China, they have what they call Chinese traditional medicine. And they consider that Chinese traditional medicine a national treasure. And some of it probably is like acupuncture. I can remember when acupuncture first started coming around, it came out of, I think, China. And people swear by it and it works and et cetera, et cetera. Evidently, because of Chinese uh, approach to medicine, uh, which they call a national treasure, they've been trying to use that approach to treat COVID. And um, Beijing even made, city government even made rules uh, to make it a crime to slander uh, traditional treatments. So um, um, most notoriously, uh, instead of freeing scientists to understand the virus's origin, China's propaganda has promoted tall tales about it arriving on imported food or food packages. This is all being... Um, discussed, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, in a, an investigation by some, some scientists who are printing this up in, uh, in uh, the Wall Street Journal columns. Um, you can take it and do what you want to with it, uh, but I think it's just one more diary entry in all the things that have been accumulated over how people see it, believe in it, question it, how they accept it. Um, but, but anyway, the Chinese Postal Service issued orders to sanitize all incoming mail as, and all this is an attempt to protect the reputation of their traditional medicine approach. So they started saying it's not coming from us, it's coming from the mail, it's coming from frozen foods that are imported. And uh, pretty soon they were blaming the U.S. company that makes food processing equipment for the spread of COVID. Um, this whole decision by Beijing to proceed with the Olympics uh, was uh, for China forced it on itself so it could put on a good face and sell its own people and the world that they had COVID under control. Um, so there you are. It's, it, I never would have thought of that angle with the Olympics and the government of China having to force themselves to do it because it did introduce a lot of elements they couldn't control. Um, the uh, uh, end is not in sight for China's zero COVID experimentation. Some, uh, they, they really don't have a political system that will allow them to shift to living with the virus. Australia even has now, it's ironic they're doing this after the US Open is, I mean, after the Australian Open, is uh, attempting to shift to, uh, you know, being a tolerable, manageable attitude. Holman Jenkins reported that. that. That is something that's interesting about COVID. The other mystery about COVID is why everybody did not jump on uh, the booster. And that has become uh, kind of a mystery that is being, uh, uh, you know, uh, looked at. Why are Americans so slow to get booster shots? It's um, not that they didn't perhaps get the first shot or the second shot, but uh, uh, is it due to skepticism? They have decided to politicize. I don't know if this is true or not, but the unvaccinated people in this country are mostly Republican, according to a Kaiser Family Foundation uh, analysis. Uh, so. The vaccinated but unboosted Americans really more closely resembles the country as a whole. Um, there are uh, 
Democrats as well who've been vaccinated, but not boosted. So um, um, the COVID response has been catch as catch can here. And we do have the medical system to take care of it, but we have regulations and officials who are mismatched in their presentation as to what to do. And consequently, we have a mismatch of attitudes about how to handle COVID. That's really basically um, where we are with it. It's, um, it's, it's, it, it is true, though, that it has apparent, I might say true, I, I put that in with a grain of salt, um, that Omicron, this latest version, has gotten more people, collectively all this COVID has gotten more people sick uh, than anything since the 1918-19 uh, 19-19 flu. Um, it is um, obviously with Omicron, not everyone who gets infected gets sick. I just throw this into the classroom notes. Um, the current wave of Omicron is largely worldwide. It's um, uh, very rare that uh, uh, you have something like this that infects practically the entire world in a span of eight weeks. But um, 80 to 90% of those people infected are, 80, are asymptomatic. Uh, the Delta variant, about 40% of those infected were asymptomatic. Um, but it's had an impact on the labor market. Um, those who uh, uh, get sick, those who have to stay home to tend to sick, and those who are asymptomatic but test positive. I was in a restaurant just the other uh, night, a couple nights ago, that shall remain unnamed. Uh, the last time I was in the restaurant, the wait staff and workers there did not wear masks. This time they all had masks on. And I asked them why, what was the change in policy? And they said, well, a lot of us got infected with this Omicron. And so we decided to protect you, uh, the people sitting at the table that we're waiting on. We, the, the entire restaurant staff would, all, would wear masks. So if you go into one of these restaurants uh, and you see that's, that's the case, it's there. They, they, they obviously have had a pretty big Omicron outbreak in their own staff. And they have now taken measures uh, to be sure that you're not affected by it. So in January, there are 84 million positive COVID-19 cases worldwide. All right. Uh, but the toll, the death toll has been pretty low uh, and it's been going down. Uh, testing is problematic. Uh, it's only catching a, a very minor number. Uh, there's talks about, you know, get a free test. The tests are not reliable, evidently. You can get false positives, you can get, so there's a lot of confusion there. And that's my really COVID report for today, which as I say, I never thought I'd ever be talking about it a couple of years later. Climate change though, here is a very interesting presentation by Robert Lee Holtz about clouds. You know, I've been, I've been you have to be careful because the government is, betting its entire roll of money in its pocket on climate change, from cars to fossil fuels, to wind energy, to the biomass plant. I think we may have played Joe the biomass guy here before I came back on. Uh, you know how it goes. I mean, everything is all betting. All the cards are on. Yes, uh, we're going to melt the polar ice caps. We're going to uh, all this and that one another. These things have been basically calculated off of uh, computer models. And what has now befuddled the computer model makers is at the best tools at hand, according to Robert Lee Holtz, uh, who has written about this and studied it. Uh, Robert Lee Holtz um, uh, uh, being somebody like yours truly, who is constantly trying to figure out what the truth of things, says that um, uh, the best tools we got right now can't with any kind of accuracy model the world's climates. Hello, I never thought they could in the first place. Um, but there's, there's, there's some particular reasons now that they've identified why the calculations are off kilter. And they're off kilter primarily because of the physics of the clouds, okay? Of the clouds, I mean, the actual clouds. And here's something I learned. 
how prevalent clouds are. Um, they cover uh, an enormous amount of the world at every, any given time. There's a statistic in here I'll get to to tell it to you. But these computer models, now the latest modeling efforts, have realized that the calculations are thrown off by the physics of clouds. And uh, the computer models have been too sensitive. So by creating, uh, trying to solve one problem, they have created another, and they're having to rework their algorithms. Now, I just saw a lady who, I'll mention her name, Susan Nugent. She writes regularly in the Gainesville Sunset about climate change. She's an English teacher. She was an English teacher at Santa Fe. I uh, don't think she has any scientific qualifications whatsoever to write about the climate. And I was asked, why didn't I read Susan Nugent? And I said, I don't read her because she's only talking in the cliches that are there in the public marketplace. I'm not interested in those. I'm interested in something like this I'm presenting to you for your consideration. And that is, have you ever thought about the limitations of computer models and algorithms, particularly which seem to be the model's basic structure of all models? Um, they have um, made calculations that have been more complicated than their modeling predicted. Um, and they have in turn demonstrated the complexity of physics, the limits of scientific computing, uh, the nuances about climate behavior, and in particular, the challenge of keeping pace with rising levels of carbon dioxide, methane, and greenhouse gases when you take into consideration the physics of clouds. Um, these projections, therefore, for climate modelers uh, amount quite a bit difference in uh, uh, degrees of average temperature response to the levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere in years ahead. Um, there are more than 100 major global climate change models that are produced by 49 different research groups. Um, quite interesting, is it not? And uh, um, the problem with this is the uh, technical glitches in the algorithms are hampered by this inability to understand how the planet responds to heat trap gases that the clouds trap. Um, it is at any given time, um, the earth is covered, two, more than two thirds of the planet is covered by clouds. There's your quiz question for next time, students, when you come to class. Uh, remember the way I always get you to come to class on time is I give the quiz in the first five minutes of the class and you're able to use your notes uh, that you took and the quiz is always based upon the class we had before. So you can use the notes and the question will be how much of the planet is covered by clouds, more than two thirds of the planet. So this is presented what is called a cloud conundrum for the computer modeling. Um, they are not sure, uh, but what this is made overly sensitive carbon dioxide model levels, and therefore our predictions of climate change are not right because as the California Tapio Schneider, uh, atmospheric scientist at the California Institute of Technology has said, if you don't get the clouds right, everything is out of whack. Man, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so they're delving more deeply of all things now, my friends, into the uh, 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 computer studies of clouds. And, uh, you know, clouds are, you know, really, I guess, by the way, when I was a little kid, I thought maybe that's where the angels play the harps on the clouds. Don't you see? Don't you remember uh, pictures of pictures of that? Well, I end up with something that's kind of funny. But I've been predicting, you know, as a as a writing instructor, I predicted this would be a problem a long time ago, and that is the language, and in particular, the pronouns. Now, I gotta tell you, if you have any experience with wills or trusts, you better know the difference between and and or, because if you have executors of the trust, and it reads John Doe and Jane Doe, then both of them must be on all official documents, distributions of money, anything like that. But if you have 
John Doe or Jane Doe, then either one can do it. And that's just a small example of how come language should be written with great care and great precision, because those two words can cause a lot of problems. Those words are called uh, uh, con conjunctions, coordinating conjunctions. And, or, but, for, so, yet are the coordinating conjunctions. We can also use conjunctive adverbs, which are preceded by a semicolon between independent clauses and followed by a comma. However, therefore, moreover, hence, are some of them. This is all if you care to be precise in your meaning. And if you don't care to be precise in your meaning, uh, then you'll run into chaos. Uh, I am aware of a situation, as I think I shared with you, where a lady could not tell that because a birth certificate indicated a person was born in Alachua County, did not indicate that he indeed now as a grown adult resided in Alachua County. Couldn't, couldn't distinguish the difference. So pronouns are now because of this gender equity inclusion uh, obsession has confused the identity of a man or a woman. Uh, historically, he, his, she, her uh, identified uh, the antecedent agreement, the pronoun agreement with the antecedent. Uh, we also had male and female refer to biological sex. Um, uh, uh, so there you are. That was the traditional way of making uh, uh, that which you're trying to be sure is, 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 is uh, capable of being exercised, making it precise. So now gender activists believe uh, that being a man or a woman uh, is not that easy to frame in language. Uh, and this has become a problem for the legal world. Um, gender ideology wants to believe that if you're a female who doesn't identify with the social roles and stereotypes of femininity, then you're not a woman, okay? And therefore, on the legal documents, you can't be described as a woman. <clears throat> Moreover, you see that conjunctive adverb I'm using? Moreover, if you're a male who similarly rejects the social roles and stereotypes of masculinity, then you're not a man. This is all about transgender, non-binary uh, identities. You want to enter some confusion into some legal documents, have this gobbledygook be in there. And I'll promise you when it comes time to sort out the will or sort out the assets or follow the directives of the, of the trust, uh, you'll have chaos. Um, so when someone asks for your pronouns, and you respond with she or her, you're communicating traditionally the simple fact that you're a female. Um, but the gender ideologist would interpret this as an admission that you embrace femininity. And uh, that's losing favor. Are you with me? Femininity is losing favor. Masculinity is losing favor. And it's a kind of joke here. Uh, the uh, uh, author of this, Colin Wright, who of all things, he's not an English professor, of all things, he is an evolutionary biologist, okay? He suggests that maybe what we should do is introduce ourselves as, hi, I'm a Sagittarius, or hi, I'm a Cancer, and go by the astrology systems if you believe in that system. But if you reject astrology as that which frames who you are, then of course, you're not gonna be able to do that. Um, all of that is dictated by when you were born. Um, I know people who explain their entire behavior practically by using that yardstick. Well, are you a, are you a, are you a, 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 a Scorpio? Or, or, or no wonder, no wonder you're that way. And they just lock into it. So here we are, we are in this chaos in language. Uh, and the last place we want this gender ideology 
to infect reality is in our legal documents. Uh, you cannot fundamentally reject the realities of biology and expect positive outcomes for society. There you go. If you agree with that, fine. If you disagree with it, well, wait till you have to distribute the money. Hey, have a great day. We're going to have a great show tomorrow. If the Lord's willing and the creeks don't rise, Warthog Command Center out.